0: what's the nature of your emergency?
1: Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living podcast, I am super excited for today's interview because I am joined with my now really good friend. I will call him Bob, but another way that I'm supposed to formally introduce him is as retired Chief Fire Officer, Mr. Robert A. Mitchell. So Bob, how are you?
0: I'm very well this morning. Thank you.
1: Good. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here and we're finally able to do this. I feel like it's been a long time coming. So thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. I'm I'm very excited. Um, I watch these on a regular basis and, and I'm very excited to get on here and chat with you. I know you and I chat periodically, but I this is exciting for me.
1: Yeah, we were just before we went live, we were talking about our feelings and... Um, our, our concerns about other people's concerns with regards to what's happening right now, especially with you living where you live and me on the opposite side of the coast here in California, and um, yeah, let's just keep our fingers crossed that the entire world doesn't decide to close down again. At the very least, not our country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, I, I'm I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Um, in all selfishness, things that I don't necessarily know to kind of dig in a little bit of your background, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. So before you even started your career, what was the whole reason that got you into working in fire in the first place?
0: Oh, wow. Um, Back in February of 1977, uh, I lost an uncle who was a police officer with a um, county police department in Maryland. Uh, He was killed in the line of duty while responding to a call for service. He He hit a patch of ice and wrapped around a telephone pole i was 11 10 and it took them over an hour to cut him out of his patrol car i knew back then already that um that was far too long now he survived for about two days a little over two days in shock trauma there in baltimore and then Succumb to his injuries. That was probably my earliest recollection, recognition of. No, I want to be able to do something about that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I was I was pretty young, and yes, it was a traumatic, traumatic event for me. Um, and I'm umming a lot. Sorry, I know better than to do that. But uh, that, was, that was kind of my earliest introduction to it. Then I started taking um, first aid classes. And a lot of them were through Green Cross, Red Cross, things like that. Because at my age, um, I couldn't take state level paramedic EMT courses. You had to be 18 in order to take the test. So I had quite a ways to go. You know, so I did first aid things around the school, you know, around schools and, you know, stuff like that while I was a kid.
1: That's beautiful. I was just reading the chat. Mr. Walton is in there running amok. <laughs> Good morning, Clint. Good morning, Mr. Bobby. So what was it, Bob, that you were anticipating or what was your hope at that time in you becoming, you know, just joining, joining fire together? What what was it that you wanted to achieve?
0: Mostly, and it sounds kind of cliche, but I really wanted to just help people. Um, I didn't like it when people were hurting, whether that was physically or emotionally hurting. Uh, crying was probably the worst thing. You know, somebody crying around me was probably the worst thing in the world for me. It just tore me up. I didn't like it at all. So, my goal was, you know, and my desire um was to make people feel better um even if it wasn't completely physically take away all their pain mentally ease that pain a little bit you know even even somebody with the worst trauma that is still conscious and able to communicate if i can put a smile on their face just for a second that's easing their pain a little bit and that's what i've always wanted to do that's still that that's still what I want to do. I still love doing that. And throughout my career, I've looked at and found different ways to do that. more of it from an emotional and, and mental standpoint than from a physical standpoint, because I've, I've been off, um, off the truck as a paramedic in the fire department for years. And don't get me wrong. I still love that part of it. Um, I love shocking, um, People who have, oh, you've been a chief forever, I can still go in and start an IV or, you know, put an endotracheal tube down and they look at me and it's like, chief can still do that. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you know.
1: That's funny. What were some of the internal or even external struggles that you faced then at, in the very beginning of your career or just overall? Um,
0: one of them was always being the youngest guy and the newest guy in the room. Hmm. Um, and not being taken seriously in the beginning of my career, not being taken seriously because of my age. As things changed and developed, it was, oh, you can't really have been doing this for as long as you've been doing it. You're not old enough. Well, I've been doing it since I was 15 years old. I started in 1980, and this is my 40th year. I'm 55 years old. (laughs) So,
1: after that.
0: Been, you know, I've been doing it my whole life and it's because of a love of doing it. So, you know, as as that time has stretched on, you know, it's like it, people people find it hard to believe I've been doing it that long. And then I ran into various and this was this was funny as um, a teenager. I delivered my first baby at 16. Wow. Um, you'd be surprised at and it's not that I dated a lot, but you'd be surprised at how many mothers of girls that I dated were not happy about the fact that I had delivered a baby at 16 years old. Hmm. Like, trust me, this isn't about sex or anything like that. It's just what I do. Mm -hmm. And and, um, for me, that was almost astounding. That wasn't something that as, as a, Young person um, that I could wrap my head around. It was just something that I did.
1: Yeah, um, just a part of the
0: job, right? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, now, it, make no mistake, it's a very exciting, very, um, very rewarding part of the job. That's kind of what, well, depending on who you are, that's kind of a pinnacle moment, you know, in the jobs as far as the EMS side of it is concerned to, you know, to do, to accomplish, um, bringing a, a new life into the world is is just astounding. Um, but, uh, you know, and I, I know I talk a lot about EMS. Um, most of the time in most fire departments over the last 40 years or so, when you start your career, you start in EMS, you start in emergency medical services. And um, one of your ancillary responsibilities from the rescues than fighting fire. Um, But what you do, and to this day, what you do 90, 95% of the time is is medical related. Uh, As the profession has grown over the last 40 years, um, in my experience, uh, firefighting has become uh, kind of a special operation. Uh, Like elevated rescue or hazardous materials or uh, dive recovery are all kind of specialties within the fire, um, fire service itself. EMS is your bread and butter. And then actually putting water on fire or you know, putting the wet stuff on the red stuff is becoming more of a special operation kind of a thing.
1: Yeah. And and that's a beautiful thing just to see the transition because there's so much growth in what you just said. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, being 16, I can even think of a lot of people who are like in the Explorers program, like you're going to be privy and experienced in things that, you know, somebody just going to school or maybe not diversified at a young age wouldn't be. So it's a shame that, you know, you were in a a sense, like shunned upon because of the experience that you had at such a young age. But in carrying that with you and cultivating your career, going throughout things, especially as a first responder, we hear it all the time with our clients. I talk to so many people in our group and just on a day to day basis, there's always this wall that they hit in their career. And I'm just wondering if you've ever had that in your career and if you did what that was.
0: I did. Um, and it was after I made rank, I stayed at the level of assistant chief for 18 of my 30 years at my last fire department. And um, that's one thing to realize is within most fire departments, that pyramid narrows very, very quickly. Sure, everybody's a firefighter to start out. Um, promotion to company officer, uh, lieutenant in some departments. Um, yeah, it begins to narrow, but there's still a lot of opportunities to achieve that captain, battalion chief. And the higher you go, the narrower that gets. Um, my department, we had three assistant chiefs, one deputy chief and the fire chief. And so there, there was that wall in a sense from a promotion standpoint. But the other thing that I began to learn was that there were, regardless of my rank, there were opportunities to to serve in other ways to gain experience in other ways, either with the same agency, because I punched my ticket in every division in the department. I worked not only EMS and fire, but I worked in technical services, which was basically air packs and fleet maintenance and that kind of a thing. And while I'm not a vehicle, guy at all I learned a huge amount about um vehicles beyond the stuff that you know my dad taught me about changing tires and changing the oil and those kinds of things um there's nothing like crawling underneath of a fire truck for three days looking for one tiny little air leak in the air system that's causing a problem with the brakes and everything else and it's like this is not what I'm used to at all um but um the opportunities. And I I worked dispatch, I worked fire prevention. um, I spent some time in special operations. So I I got to work every division within the fire department, uh, including training. And one of the the neatest exposures that I had in training was learning that there was more than just your two basics, um, you know, of fire and EMS. Yes, that's what our primary job is, but there then becomes so many more levels of taking care of people within the department. And I learned that in training. Um, uh, the captain that I worked for when I was in training, she was absolutely fantastic from that standpoint. She and I didn't see eye to eye on teaching, but she was a teacher. I wasn't. So, um, you know, it was a good experience from that standpoint. And and I learned a lot from her. Um, and that was probably where I started developing emotionally or mentally, becoming more mentally aware of uh, taking care of people within my own department beyond just I take care of the patient or I take care of the resident or, you know, the person with, the problem out in the public, uh, we've got stuff we need to take care of our own people for, kind of a roundabout answer and explanation. But you know, some of the things that I did outside of the department, um, after I had been off of the, the rescue for a few years, I joined uh, the sheriff's office as um, a dive team medic. And my goal at that point wasn't to go and take out, take care of the general public. It was to take care of a team of 30 divers, and uh, it kind of changed my, my emergency medicine just a little. Bit. I got uh, health histories of a specific group of people, um, and take care of them. Uh, yeah, it was still mostly trauma related, but. Um, you know, it was them specifically Uh, and I've stayed active with the sheriff's office dive team. Now Um, I was 10 years with one department. And uh, when I retired, I switched to a new department, um, new group of folks. Um, So I'm been only with, I've been that with them two and a half years. And so I'm still just kind of learning them a little bit and how that agency operates um, not only on, on dive scenes, but you know, every law enforcement agency is a little bit different in how they operate so i've had an opportunity to learn and train and work with them you know in in a different county environment Um, i also worked with the national disaster medical system on a disaster medical assistance team where we would stand up a temporary hospital in uh, western uh, For people on the West Coast, they know these real well. Western shelter tents, it's a 19 by 35 um, tent complex structure kind of a thing. Um, You know, you go out with four large tents and one small tent. and You set up um, a dormitory and then three three levels of care, green, yellow, and red. Uh, And then you have a, a base of operation kind of a thing in the middle. And we are self sufficient for, in reality, our team was self sufficient, could be, could be self sufficient for a two week deployment at a time um, before we had to get restocked. Um, very rarely did we ever have to push that. But um, uh, Central Florida team that I work on primarily got activated for hurricanes. Um, and we did not often go west of the Mississippi. Um, we would do flooding up in the um, not quite Plains state, but um, in the Midwest, you know, Chicago, Indiana, Ohio. Um, We did do flooding in New York. We did Hurricane Sandy, but we also did, um, or Superstorm Sandy. I refuse to call that a hurricane. It was the wrong time of year. Um, But we did uh, Hurricane Katrina, and I was out for three months with Hurricane Katrina, um, you know, in, in the South, of the U.S., Alabama, Mississippi, um, and of course New Orleans and Louisiana. uh, Learned very quickly uh, military bases don't change very quickly. Um, I was in a World War, I will say at least a World War II dorm in Mississippi and it could have been as old as a World War I dorm on the base in Mississippi. okay, this is different. This, you know, when my tent becomes luxury, it's like, hmm, okay, (laughs) this is different. So I've gotten a chance to do a lot of different things. Uh, in addition to the fire department I'm with now in emergency management, I'm also a part of the state incident management team. Um, and very similar to a DMAT team, instead of providing medical, we provide, um, incident management oversight uh, and use the incident command structure incidents incident command system structure and i can deploy well i can deploy as anything but um, i'm qualified by the state as a an incident commander and uh, planning section chief and frankly i love being a planning section chief um, if you are particularly environmental and really care about the trees and you don't want to see a single tree burned down or cut down, I'm not your guy.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, you, you certainly have such a wide, a wide array of experience. And um, Clint's asking here, where do you see the evolution of being a firefighter changing in the next 10 years?
0: Oh, um, kind of back to what I said about it being a special operation. Um I think you will have specialists the same way you have hazard. Right now the fire department is all hazards and their move to going to all hazards and the fire department has been all hazards probably since their inception, but you do have people within the department that specialize in, in certain areas. And um, I think you will begin to see the more, structured development of specific teams, where instead of, yeah, you'll be good at all of the things, but you'll be really good at one particular thing. And um, that's where the department will try and focus your energy. Um, If you're really good at uh, structural firefighting, you'll specialize in that. And I even see that breaking down to um, residential structure fires and commercial structure fires in reality where i worked most every well not most every fire every structure fire i've had over those years was a commercial structure um because of where i worked and i worked for reedy creek improvement district and we protect walt disney world there are no residents there um, everything was commercial um, the fire department i'm with now is a city fire department and yes they have commercial structures but their largest commercial structure was smaller than a lot of what we protected um at Walt disney world um so the firefighting in those areas is different um the contents of those structures are different maybe not the um you know maybe not the particles of combustion and that kind of a thing um, because they all burn down to basically the same dangerous kinds of chemicals, but just the volume, um, the way you do searches, the way you do, um, uh, the way you fight the fire, the way you move smoke out, you know, so that you can, can do that firefighting becomes different between the different kinds of properties. Um, And then you know, you'll get people who are very specialized in auto extrication. You'll get people who are very specialized in hazardous materials, um, in elevated rescue, in um, water rescue kinds of things, Um, whether that be, and the fire department likes to think rescue all the time. Um, So, you know, fire department does dive rescue where they'll be in the water in the first hour and then In most cases, the sheriff's office does dive recovery, and that's that time after that first hour when it comes to when it comes to people, um, you know, when it comes to pulling out cars and evidence and those kinds of things. Obviously, that falls generally falls to the sheriff's office. Um, So, you know, the specialization, even though you're going to kind of be good at everything, I think you're going to see the fire department start setting up teams and specializing in, in specific areas.
1: Yeah. And that's really fascinating because it's just like, like police departments, right? We have special details for nearly mm-hmm. everything that's needed. And I never, I never even thought about the fact that a fire department could potentially like go into that same realm. And it makes the most sense to have people who are best at certain things. And then certainly who know how to do the job overall.
0: Well, and in fact, you know, there's, There's unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, there's that crossover even between um, law enforcement and fire rescue with uh, things like an active shooter. Um, I did not get into emergency services, you know, from the EMS and fire side to wear uh, a Kevlar helmet and vest. And now it's a part of my issued equipment. And my wife was funny. Um, she said, you finally got off the truck where you're not having to deal with that kind of a thing. And what do you do? Go join the sheriff's office. Do you really need people shooting at you that bad? And over the years, at, and it wasn't that um, at Reedy Creek, but with another department I served with, I have been shot at. Um, I've had. Um, where we've taken slugs out of the the hood of the rescue. Um You know, and it's like that even that was early in my career. But, um, you know, it's just been a change over the years in how people view the fire department. Um, I think most times people see a uniform and just make assumptions that they're there for no good, which is just ridiculous, whether that's law enforcement, fire, EMS, public works you know if you wear a shirt and a badge of any kind people are becoming more leery of you um and the days of public safety being your local hometown heroes for a group like us they always will be but we're very closely tied to that i think the public in general that has worn off um i think the biggest surge for that that i saw was right after 9-11 um but that deteriorated i don't know tw- you know 19 years later i think that deteriorated fairly quickly some people may say eh, almost 20 years nah that w- wearing out in 20 years that's not bad but hey i didn't quit in 20 years so you know
1: yeah and i Clint and i talk about this all the time because we have this evolution of this younger generation coming in and when everything started happening in the past few weeks, ever since, you know, the incident and um, we started to see the way that police have these targets on them in ways that they never had before. I I explained to Clint that in my interpretation of that, it's based on ignorance and good riddance to those people who don't know what it's like to have a feeling of relief when a first responder shows up at your door. And it won't be until that time that they truly get it. And, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's all based around ignorance. And as I said, like, it's a good thing if you've never had to dial those three, those three ominous numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And it's- It's it's the truth and it's the reality. And then we have this younger generation. I was just talking about this with somebody else in the group yesterday, to where they're not shown the same American patriotism. And with that comes a lack of respect for, you know, quote unquote authority. I tell Clint sometimes I remember what it was like to be in the presence of a first responder and have this sense of like, you know, I'm looking upon them in a certain way because of the the way that they are protecting all of all of the people that are around them. And there's Mm -hmm. this. And level of very healthy, um, healthy respect that comes with that yeah. and not being taught. That was something that I learned. And now people are misconstruing it and they're teaching kids. I don't know if you've seen the different all the, the junk, right, that's out there on social media. But now all of these online platforms for schools are teaching their kids to be afraid and all of these these reasons why police are bad and things like that. Good morning. Good afternoon, you guys. And it's, it's just a shame because we all know in truth, the people who who live this life, who know what it's like, that first responders are not the enemy. And if you are so naive and, you know, you live in this state of mind to where you don't have to ever have had experienced the worst day of your life and having to dial mm-hmm. for help in that way, then that's just plain ignorance. And a lot of people use that word and, <laughs> you know outside of the definition of it, but it's just based on them not having to have had experienced that in the past. And it's, it is what it is, but we just keep going strong. We are so thankful for people like you, people in this group, everybody listening in on the podcast who do dedicate their lives and who know the truth and the real reasons behind why they do fight the good fight and why some of them are fighting, um, I I just said this last week that if you do work in law enforcement in particular right now, you have the hardest job in the entire world. And if anybody wants to try to discredit you for that, then it's just weak. They're trying to shame you because they are weak and let them let them talk because that's all that it is. It's like a, a loud barking dog that barks for nothing and nobody pays attention to a barking dog because doesn't mean anything. Um, but I want to thank you so much for coming in here with me this morning, everybody who's listening in for just sharing time and space with us. And I'm so grateful for you. So grateful to know somebody with such a big heart and yeah, I'm looking forward to having you come back on the show so that we can kind of dig into things a little bit deeper.
0: Oh, I, I, anytime I would love that. Um, I'm not sure what I'd, I'd want to say to, you know, to close out other than, um, like any career it's had, it's its hard and challenging days, but uh, after 40 years, honestly, I can't think of anything I'd rather do. This, um, I talk to people about this being a passion. And if you don't have a passion for this job, go find where what your passion is. Um, it's okay if it's not this, but if you have a passion for this, man, it's great. You won't make a lot of money, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and it, it's very rewarding and And I love doing it. Additionally, I love being a part of this group because it's, it, that's also been very, um, rewarding and, and somewhat in, to a certain extent, healing for me. I've said, I've said to you before, I've said to the group before, you can't do this job with a for any amount of time and not have some post-traumatic stress kinds of things to deal with and search to find that work and life balance. And um, I don't think in the last year I've had one negative comment. I've had comments that don't agree with me, that I don't agree with, but that have given me a moment of pause to think about you know what? I see where they're coming from. That's yeah, maybe that's true. But um, you know, having a group of people that I can reach out to anytime and say, I'm not real experienced at this. What are your thoughts about this? Or um Yeah. You know.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much for being so open for your vulnerability and um just for being you. And I look forward to continuing to cultivate our relationship and really to, to just build that bond that we all need around this entire industry for first responders, military service members, and their families. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you.